Christian show was phenomenal. Thank you all who participated in that and was a part of that. I know the Lord really blessed that. We have some amazingly talented people that go to this church. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor here and I, I, play f- I root for the home team. Um, it's actually true. It's actually true. You all are incredibly talented, and I praise the Lord for each and every one of you. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. For those of you that are visiting, um, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the things that we say that the book of Ecclesiastes does is that it, it presents us with questions we necessarily don't want to answer and hard truths that we necessarily don't want to hear, but it's good that we do because they cause us to reflect on our life and what the Lord is doing to us. And last week, or not last week, but two weeks ago, we, we looked at pleasure. And we uh, asked ourselves the question, why do we engage in the pleasures of this world even though they leave us feeling empty? That's a profound question that the book of Ecclesiastes presents us with. So today we're going to be looking at another aspect of that. Now let's give ourselves to the reading of God's most holy word. The word of God says, I, uh, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 18 through 26, 18 through 26. And from here on out, I, I'm not necessarily going to go verse by verse. I'm going to go theme by theme, um, because some of the themes within the book of Ecclesiastes are repetitive. And so, you know, if I went verse by verse, I'll end up saying some of the same things that I said before. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like take themes out of the book and then bring them to bear on our lives and cause us to think about how these themes are relevant in our own lives. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning at verse number 18, and we'll go down to verse number 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity, and striving after wind. 
Well, all flesh is grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We have gathered here today to hear from you, and I pray that we do. This is your word, and these are your people. Fill them now with the light of the glorious gospel. May they walk out transformed by the power of your spirit. And now, Father, what we ask not, give us. What we have not, bestow to us. And what we are not, make us. By the power of your spirit and for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, the text that I just read to us is um, a text talking about labor and work. That's what Solomon is doing right now. He's, he's calling on us to consider our work, the things that we do. And here he uses the word toil, and the word toil doesn't necessarily mean work for pay, although that's a part of it. The word toil actually means all our toil. So whether you work or, or don't work, whether you're in school or or you're retired, it doesn't matter. He's talking about toil, and he's talking about the difficulties surrounding toil. And so today I want us to look at this passage, and I want us to consider three compelling insights about our work. Some of these you know, but it's good to reflect on them deeply and cause us to reflect on our labor. And I entitled the sermon, Why Do You Work So Hard? Good question to ask yourself every now and then. So here are the three compelling insights about our work. The first that Solomon gives in this passage that's front and center is that work or toil is emotionally hard. Is emotionally hard. Look at this passage. You know, if you, if you examine this passage closely, one of the things that comes out more and more is that Solomon talks about the emotional toll that work has on all of us. That it's emotionally difficult. Notice with me in verse number 18, he says, I hated my toil in which I toiled under the sun. He hated it. Now, now the word hate is a bit strong here. What he, what he actually is saying is that he's frustrated. He's frustrated about his work. And all of us, that resonates with us because from time to time we get frustrated by our work. Now, now look and see why he says he's frustrated. He's frustrated because... He sees that he must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. What is he talking about? Well, Solomon is saying that he's frustrated because somebody else is benefiting from his labor. Somebody else will benefit from his labor. Recently, I was doing something in the house and I overheard um, one of our children talking about a group project that they had. And they were sharing their frustration around this group project because apparently there was one person in the group project who was allergic to work. They had an allergy to work. And so they didn't want to work. And she was frustrated because she was saying to herself, uh, here I am working, all of us working hard, diligently, and yet this person just wouldn't work. They wouldn't do their fair share. And some of us can experience that. We've been in these group projects. 
We're trying to get stuff done. There's one person that's just not pulling their weight. Well, that could get very frustrating. And Solomon here says that he is frustrated by his labor because he knows he's going to die one day and, and his labor will go to his son, Rehoboam. And if you read First Kings chapter 12, you'll know that Rehoboam lost 85% of Solomon's kingdom right after he died. Well, imagine that. Imagine having a business or working hard and you leave it to your children and they lose 85% of it. Just like that. Solomon says that's frustrating. Or even you're on your job and you're working hard and, and your boss doesn't recognize your labors. That can be frustrating. Or you have coworkers that, that benefit from your ingenuity. Solomon says that's frustrating. That's an aspect of the emotional toil of work. We get frustrated by it. Now, if you again look at this passage, you'll notice a little bit of what Solomon is experiencing here is pride. You know, it's the case when you're bright and talented and gifted in many ways that, that you tend to get a little frustrated with people that are not. And you see that in the passage. He says, look, I, I am wise. I, I worked hard. I applied wisdom. But this person that's coming after me won't. And you see this in chapter tw- 2, verse 1, down to verse number 11. You could see all the me, myself, and I's in here. He worked hard. He did all of this, my vineyards, my gardens. And he's saying, I'm frustrated because I did all of these things, and now I have to give it to someone else. And so frustration, the emotional frustration. Notice uh, with me the second aspect of the emotional reality. In verse number 20, so he says, I turned my uh, I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. Well, why is he despairing emotionally over his work? It goes down because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave it, leave everything to be enjoyed by someone else. So what is Solomon saying here? He's saying, you know, I, I, I get despair. I, I despair over the reality that someone else will enjoy my labor. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of my labor. Now, he's not talking about inheritance here. In some sense, it's right and good to leave an inheritance to your children and and others. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when he thinks about all that he labors to do, that one day it'll be left to someone else. Uh, Let me give you uh, an example of this. I, I have a lot of books. If you know anything about me, you know that I love books. Don't worry, I've confessed it to many. I'm confessing it to you now. There, there are books everywhere in my office. There's, there's books at our house. Recently, my wife said, honey, I, I can't move around our room. You, you, need to, you need to take the books and take them to, to the church. And so every now and then, I, you know, I'll grab a pile of books and I'll take it over to the church. And I look at all my books, and, and every now and then I ask myself, who will inherit this great treasure trove of books? You know, my children have their own books. They, they don't necessarily want my books. But, but I have labored to collect all of these books. These are the tools of my trade. I read a lot. I'm a pastor. So I'm always studying. So I have all of these books. And one day when I die, all these books will go to McKay's. Or the equivalent of McKay's. And then, you know, the books that I pay $800 or $900 for, honey, don't hear that, I, you know, 
Uh, but, but all these books I spent money on, someone like, you know, Bobby DeWitt comes in and buys it for eight bucks. Eight dollars. But they cost hundreds of dollars. And if you think about it, that, that the tools that you'll collect over the course of your life, or, or maybe the furniture that you will buy at an estate sale that you spend all this money for, it'll go for pennies on the dollar. Solomon says, when I think about things like that, that, that drives me to despair. Because all of the things I worked hard for to accumulate and get, they'll all be gone. And he says to himself, that, that's despairing. He's emotionally disturbed by that. Notice the third thing, verse 22. He says, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. What is he talking about there? It, it, take a pen and underline striving of heart. That, that word is a powerful word. Because the word means expectations. That you and I inside here today, when we labor, we have certain expectations for our labor. And what Solomon is saying here is that, that sometimes we come to the place in our life when we feel disappointed because our expectations for our labor doesn't match reality. I was reading a psychologist recently, and he said the number one reason why young people, and young people, listen up, it applies to you. He says the number one reason why young people don't like their job or quit their job is because expectations didn't match reality. It's the number one reason. That's why you're quiet quitting. That's why you're opting out of the job market, because you get the job of your dreams, and you realize it isn't all it's cracked up to be. Or um, you start your own business, and it isn't as successful as you thought it would be. Or you're a stay-at-home parent, and you realize it's not as rewarding as you thought it would be. Or you go to college and you study the thing that you love and you realize it's not what you thought it would be. It's not just young people that experience this. Older people experience it well. In fact, the midlife crisis is based on this reality. For those of you that don't know, a midlife crisis is when a man in his 40s wakes up one day and realizes that all the expectations he's had in his life have not panned out. He thought by now that he would have a great job, a great marriage, living his best life now. And then he wakes up one day and realizes that that's not the case and his expectations didn't match reality. And so for him, this striving of heart, his heart is broken. Is that you today? You're in here today and your expectations of life didn't quite pan out the way you thought it would. Solomon says, I know what you feel. Because emotionally work is hard. Notice the last one in, ver in verse number 23. He says, for all the days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. What is Solomon talking about today? 
uh, here today. He's saying that work produces its sorrow and vexation. I remember seeing this firsthand. Uh, one of our daughters loves Legos. Any Lego lovers in here? Yeah. Oh, she loves Legos. And, and one Christmas, I bought her a very nice set of Legos. And, and she spent hours on the Legos, at least two or three hours, which in kid time is like two or three days. And she's putting together these Legos, and she says, she says don't come in until the Legos are done. I said, all right, honey. And, and she's at it. And then finally she got the Legos completed. She said, Dad, come see my Lego creation. And right before I walked in, her little brother at the time rushed in and like King Kong destroyed the whole thing. I know, right? I mean, I was, I was, to be honest, quite proud of him. I mean, I, you know, it, it happened so quickly and with such, such strength. But, but I will never forget the look on her face. She was devastated. I, I, I didn't, you know, she was devastated. She was devastated. At that moment, you could see she had the mix of emotions of anger and frustration and despair and great sorrow. And I looked at her and I, I grieved, grieved with her, but I knew that wouldn't be the last time. Because you see, our work, our work produces great sorrow and vexation. I know that's not the last time she will have that look on her face. I have a professor, um, one of my professors in seminary, his name is Dr. Derek Thomas. He calls it living east of Eden. If you remember the biblical story in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve is expelled out of the garden and there's a cherubim there with a flaming sword and it says it's east of Eden. Now, now let me say this. In, you know, in our mind's eye, when we think of a cherubim, we think of just one cherubim. But what the Bible is actually saying is that there are thousands of cherubims. Thousands of them with flaming swords everywhere. And the imagery there is that every good and right aspect of work has been lost. It's been lost. And now we live east of Eden. And we suffer pain and the emotional distress of our work. You know, Jesus uh, felt what it was like to live east of Eden. Did you know that? Jesus stood out of the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum and he said, if the mighty deeds, if the mighty deeds that were done here were done in Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, they would be saved. What is Jesus doing? He's talking about the emotional pain of seeing his labor go unaddressed or unheeded. And that people are willing to die in their sins than to accept it. Living east of Eden. Let me ask you a question. Have you counted the emotional cost of your labor? met a man recently, um, and he told me that he has a ministry towards first responders. And he told me that the emotional toll of the work costs them their marriages. 
their sons and daughters, they succumb to drug abuse. They suffer east of Eden. And it's not just them, medical staff, military, people who work in corporate America. They strive to work, provide for their families, and they end up losing it because their work takes an emotional toil on the people around them. Have you counted that cost? Now look, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself as well. I'm a recovering workaholic. And I see the emotional toil, or toll I should say, that my work produces on my own family. And so don't think that I'm preaching down to you. I'm living life with you. There's a cost to pay emotionally for our work. Have you counted that? Is it worth it to climb the corporate ladder or to make more money or to get more success? Well, that's the first one, the emotional toll. But work also takes the physical toll on us. And, and Solomon doesn't spend a lot of time on this, but he doesn't have to. Because notice verse number 23. He says, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work vexation. And then notice the next sentence. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the exhaustion that we have from work. That we're exhausted. That we're doing far too much. In too short a period of time, that technology, our cars, our smartphones, um, the fact that we can network, all of these things make us believe that we're omnipotent, but we're not. We're finite. We can't do as much as what we're doing. And Solomon says it takes, it makes us exhausted. Me and a friend, a good friend, we were talking yesterday, and we looked at each other and we said, our lives are like, the Mario Brothers game. How many of you played Mario Bros? I don't, I'm not even talking about the new one. I'm, I'm talking about the old one. You know, the, in the new one, in the new Mario game, they give you all the time in the world to finish the stages. Man, look at my kids playing it. I'm like, wait a minute, this, it's not time? It's like, no, Dad, we, we have tasks that we have to complete. And when the tasks are done, um, you know, you, you're done. I said, that's ridiculous. When I was growing up, we had, what, 200 seconds? Anybody remember? And, and you remember, like, when you got down to 20 seconds, the music sped up. And, and, and there was this rush to get to the, to the flag. And, and even if you were midair about to get the flag, you know, if you didn't make the flag, yeah, and my favorite was Luigi, because his nose was a little bigger, and you could, you know, when he does it, it almost looks like a bird. But, but, but we looked at each other, and we said, our lives are like that. The music is always fast. We're always running to the next thing. But let me tell you something. Our lives aren't the only lives like that. That describes America. That describes you and I. That describes someone you know. There's the music in your head saying you have to go faster and longer and speed up. 
And if I were talking to all of us, I would say we're all doing too much. We all know someone who has five children who's carting them everywhere, trying to do everything because we believe that we're infinite and omnipotent when we're not. Now look, Solomon is saying that not, not all the things we're doing is bad. I mean, we're doing a lot of really good things. I, I can look at my own life and say, well, what am I going to give up? I mean, everything that I'm doing is good. And you might be like that inside here today. You're like, Pastor, everything that I'm doing is good. I've, I've trimmed the fat. Everything that I'm doing is good things. They're profitable things. I know. I know. Because I say the same thing. You know, one of the reasons why I'm a Reformed Presbyterian, and I don't wear that on my sleeve, but, but I, that's my theological convictions. One of the reasons why I'm that way is because I believe that God is sovereign and I'm not. And I have to remind myself that the work will get done because it's God's work, not my work. And I believe that God's providential hand is on my life working to accomplish all the things I need to and perhaps I don't need to work as hard to do it. You exhausted in here today? That's not by accident. You know someone who's exhausted? That's not by accident. To some degree, we do it to ourselves. And Solomon is saying here that it's not good. It's not good to be so tired, to not have rest. Notice what he says right after that. This also is vanity. He doesn't have good things to say about the one who's exhausted all the time, doing a whole bunch of good things. And you're looking at me and saying, well, pastor, you tell me what, what I need to give up. I can't tell you that. Only the Holy Spirit can. But if you took an honest, hard look in your life, if you know that you're exhausted and you're losing sleep, have to do business with God to figure out what he wants you to do and what he doesn't want you to do. The last thing quickly is what's the answer? What's the answer? Well, the answer and the only answer is union with Christ. Because union with Christ brings rest. Notice in verse number 24, he says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in the soil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Notice what he says in verse number 25. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That's a profound question. Because he's saying here that that. Uh, only through union with Christ can we truly enjoy the fruits of our labor. In fact, the, the word for enjoyment here in verse number 24 is the word for good. And he says, if you're going to have any good in what you do, if you're going to see any good in what you do, you have to see it in relationship to God and being in union with Christ, being united with Christ. Not just in salvation, but also in your sanctification. Daily walking with Christ and being with Christ. And asking Christ to give you wisdom and guidance in what you ought to be doing. See, the world tells us that in order to be happy, 
or the happiness index has to do with how much money you make, your position in the company, or how important we think our job is. But in this passage, uh, Solomon tells us that's not the case. It's how much you are enjoying the Lord. Uh, let me make this practical for us. I, you know, there's a lot of things I, I don't necessarily enjoy doing in my life. And some of you are going to be shocked by this, but I don't like shopping. You say, Pastor, you always look stylish. <laughs> oh, it hurts me when you laugh like that, because hey, I know <laughs> some of you are like, you don't look stylish, Pastor Ben. I, I don't like shopping. And I also don't like hospitals. I spend most of my early life in hospitals, sick. And I don't like cleaning the house. Don't like those things. But, but do you know why I do those things? I've found in life that those things are much bearable when I do it with people I love, namely my wife. Now, my wife can get me to go into a store and shop all day. I might hate every minute of it. But if she's right next to me, I can bear it. When we had our children, I, I was uncomfortable being in the hospital. But she was there. Because I love her and I was in union with her, I made it a nice little home for her. I don't enjoy cleaning the house, but if she's cleaning with me, I can bear it. Now that's what he's saying here. He's saying that, that if you have the king of kings with you, if you have Jesus with you, if you're in union with him, you can bear anything. That's why when Paul says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What is he saying there? Who is he talking to? You know who Paul was talking to? Paul was talking to slave, slaves where their only job was to shovel manure and human waste. Now, explain to me how, how a slave can, can shovel manure and shovel human waste to the, to the glory of God. The reason why Paul can say that is because he knows that if a slave is in union with Christ, then shoveling, shoveling manure and human waste becomes a joy because they're doing it with Christ. That's the difference. Or when David says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the most lavish tents of the wicked. Why, why would David say that? Because he's in union with Christ. And he's where Christ is. Beloved, listen to me. Work is hard. It takes an emotional toll on you. Work is hard. It takes a physical toll on you. But if you do it with, uh, with Christ and in communion with Jesus, it becomes a joy. It becomes a blessing. It becomes a privilege. And my prayer for you is that you might learn the value of doing life with Jesus. Where in the moments you pray to him, and you seek him, and you ask him to help you, because it's only through him you will truly have enjoyment in this life, and certainly the life to come. Father, we thank you. Yes, Father, if we were honest, like Solomon is honest, our work takes an emotional toll on us. It takes a physical 
toll on us and sometimes we feel discouraged and beaten down. We are in despair. We wonder, do, are, are all the things we doing even matter? Are they actually accomplishing anything? And yet we are reminded by your word that if we are in union with you, of course it does. If we do life with you, of course it does. Help us, Father. For the one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they now repent and ask for forgiveness and do life with you. And for those of us that have forgotten the sweet principle of union with Christ, may we, may we humbly pray and ask you to be with us in every moment and in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.